The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. I remember years ago when I, I became a Buddhist, sometimes that things were organised, some things at times they weren't. And big ceremonies and sometimes things were late. I still remember just going to the Thai temple in London every morning on my motorbike, believe it or not, when I was uh, a student. And sometimes I'd have to knock on the door to wake the monks up for the morning <laughs> chanting. <laughs> and I remember that. And so they were very, very happy when eventually after about four or five months of, four or five months of training, that they send me to the airport to send me to uh, Bangkok uh, to become a monk. It also meant that they could sleep in in the mornings <laughs> once I was banging on the door every morning at 6 a.m. I got sorry for some of those monks sometimes, but it was very wonderful to uh, have a little bit of training and friendship from people who had lived monastic life a long time. But nevertheless, today we're supposed to be uh, giving a talk on loving kindness. And that loving kindness allows one to embrace all sorts of things in life, and especially what I call disorganized religion, which to me is Buddhism. <laughs> in other words, we try to organize things, but the kindness is much stronger than the organization. In other words, we're dealing with people, and people are more important than things. And the kindness is what's important to allow the body and the mind, the body to be healthy, and the mind to be still. It's a strange thing. It's not just discipline. It's not just forcing the body. I've been there and done that for so many years. But the kindness is something which means that you're engaging with your own body. And the loving kindness means you're engaging with your mind. And when one knows how to do that, it's amazing just how the mind can be still. Because it's friendly to you and you're friendly to it. Uh, one of those stories, for those who haven't heard uh, this story, was of this uh, mother over in Perth. And she had a child, a son, and one day when the son was about five or six years of age, the son had an argument with his mum and said, Mummy, I don't love you anymore. I'm leaving home. Only five or six years of age. And the mother was such an intelligent woman. And she said, okay, if you want to leave home, I'll help you pack. And so they went into the bedroom and the mother helped pack a little bag for her son. And then when that bag was packed, uh, she said, no, don't go yet. Wait a little while because you know, life is a long journey. You need something to eat. So made the kid's favorite sandwich, put it in a little brown bag and then took the son to the door, gave him a big kiss and said, goodbye, son, don't forget to keep in contact. As the son walked off to his life, first time he left home. And the mother was waving him as he walked down the garden path, opened the gate, turned left, and went off into his life. He only got about 20 metres or 30 metres down the road, felt terribly homesick, turned around, and came back, and the mother hadn't moved. She was watching over him to make sure he was safe. She knew that if you are kind and let people go, they come back again. Because how, how rare it is to have a mother like that, 
who is kind and caring to you. So much so, the boy came straight back into his mother's arms and the problem was thereby solved. And I love that simile simply because that's how I deal with a mind which is restless. Instead of trying to lock it in with force, you find eventually, like all prisoners, they find a way to escape. And when they escape, they won't come back again for a long, long time. But if the place where you want your mind to be is a nice, kind place, of course you love being there. And honestly, that's just what I do with my breath. You know, my, I've known my breath for such a long time. We're, we're really good friends. And so if my watching my breath in my meditation and just wanders off, I always remember my kindness. Okay, mind, if you want to go somewhere else, that's good with me. And of course, the mind just comes straight back and stays with me, simply because we're kind to one another. We're best friends. We know how to chill out together. And that means that the mind and me become best friends. It's also one of the reasons why when we put that loving kindness into your life, into your community. I know sometimes people think I'm too soft, the way I look after the monks at Bodhinyan Monastery or here, or look at the nuns and smile at you. It's okay to smile, because that means that, that kindness makes it very attractive to stay at that monastery, which means it's a kindness makes you feel at home in a family with people who care about you, and you care about your own body, you care about your own mind, you care about others as well. The loving kindness is important, incredibly important in your life. That's one of the reasons why we do a loving kindness meditation, to strengthen that kindness. But there's so many different types of loving kindness meditation. And many of you who've listened to me before, especially been on the retreats, which I've been teaching for years, all know about the loving kindness of the little kitten who was abandoned and just how you can use that as a primary object, an imaginary object, which you can develop the first feelings of loving kindness towards. However, I've done that so often, I always like to change things now and again in order to make things more interesting. So the loving kindness I'm going to guide today is not going to be anything about little animals. They're going to be something else. It depends on your ability to visualize, your ability to even imagine, and to take that to a deeper level so that you can uh, visualize the problems of loving kindness and surpass them. It's always the case we start off with simple objects and we expand it to be more complicated objects. And after a while, you'll surprise yourself that some of the objects which you thought you'd never be able to uh, give forgiveness towards, kindness towards, that you can. And it's not just beings either. It's even situations, even Honestly, sometimes when there's something wrong with the camera or the internet or whatever, to give loving kindness to that and just find it just solves a problem. And loving kindness is fantastic in all areas. It's a power in and of itself. 
So anyway, we're going to see how that works. And at the end of the session, there'll be the opportunity to ask any questions. And I'll try to do my best to answer those questions. And please excuse me if I answer them briefly. It depends on how many questions they are, there are, because there's never enough time to finish all the questions. So I'll try and be brief and also concise. But every question will be welcomed. So this is like a little guided loving-kindness meditation. And we start the loving-kindness. I always like to do this on your own body, simply because if you can't be kind to your own body, how on earth is it you can be kind to anything? This is something you live with, something you, you're with every moment of your day. And if you're kind to that body, it becomes healthy and strong, and you're at ease wherever you happen to be. So anyway, we'll start with the loving-kindness meditation on the body, and I will guide it, but I usually like it towards the end of the meditation to be quiet so that you can continue on in your own way. And then I will ring the gong or other chime the gong at the very end. I never, ever liked ringing the gong, doing the bang. I think that sometimes you in deep meditation, and that just sounds really nasty. So we'll do the the chiming of the gong, which is much nicer. That'll be the symbol to exit the meditation. So anyway, let's get going. Hopefully you're all comfortable. So here we go. For those monks here and nuns here, you can see I'm not using a cushion because I have my own natural cushion. <laughs> I'm quite fat. <laughs> so that gives me enough support <laughs> just as it is. <laughs> so you close your eyes. You don't push your eyes down too tightly. Just one lid is resting on the other lid. Kindly, gently. And you're sitting in a posture which is reasonably comfortable to you. In other words, you don't imagine some photographs somewhere or being told by someone, this is the only way you must sit. Instead, you are mindful of your own body. Once you're mindful of it, then you can be kind to it. And those two things together, kindness and mindfulness. Years and years ago, in Hong Kong, we gave it the term kindfulness. So first of all, I'm kindful to my feet. So I invite you, you don't have to follow what I'm saying. But I'm mindful of the position of my feet, making sure they're comfortable. Just like having a good friend you care about. You ask them, how are you feeling today? Is there anything you need? Do you need to be moved, adjusted? And I talk to my body like that, silently, obviously, to make sure that even my feet are comfortable. Otherwise, I've experienced this many times, 
But if I'm heedless, don't pay enough attention to my feet, there may be an irritation there, which may turn into a pain. And it's a sign I'm not being kind and caring enough about my feet. Ajahn Chah used to often say that Westerners have stupid feet. We're more concerned about what we think are more important things. And then I go up to my ankles. It's a very simple body sweeping, but it's not just being aware, it's also responding with kindness. And I can feel my ankles now. And sometimes I just relax those feelings. How do you relax? parts of your body like your ankles. Through trial and error over many years, you find how just to ease any tensions, expand anything which is squashed, and just allow the bodily fluids like lymph and blood and anything else just to flow easily and through that part of my body. And it starts to feel more comfortable. Then I go up to my calves, the muscles behind the bottom legs and the skin and anything else which I can pick up there. Because that body scanning has been done for such a long time, you do have sensitivity to that part of the body. And you're just checking in to make sure everything is at ease. And if I find that something is not at ease, if there's something I can do, like adjusting my body, I will do that. If it's an ache or a pain, because I may have bruised myself there in that place, I'll just focus in on that. Again, give it such kindness. It's like I remember my mother, when I'd fallen over, she would kiss that part of my body, stroke it. It was such immense kindness. The ache or the pain will literally disappear. I didn't know that that's not supposed to happen, but it did. Kindness cured so many pieces of pain in my body. And got up to my knees. Feel those knees. And anything I can do for you knees to make you more comfortable. I will do that. If you need to adjust, please adjust at any time in this loving kindness meditation. I go past my knees. They haven't been causing me trouble for a long time now. And I go up to my thighs. Big muscles. And the skin and the bones and everything else which I can pick up. I'm not an expert on anatomy. I just know how it feels. And if there's an ache or pain, please stay there for a little while. Focus in and give as much care with your mind, with your heart, to that part of the body as you possibly can generate. Kindness does work. It's your own kindness. Your own meta. You build it up. Then you go to your butt. 
I don't know most of you wearing robes here today. Sometimes the fold of the robe can sometimes dig into the flesh. I'm always aware of that to make sure that the robe is smooth over my buttocks. So there's no extra pressure there at all. In my butt feels at ease, feels comfortable. If you need to fidget, fidget now. Get that optimum position. You're being kind to your body. And then by starting at the feet, I've built up the power of mindfulness and kindness. A little bit stronger than I began when I began. So when I start on the torso, it's more sensitive and more able to be kind. As I give that kindness first of all to my waist. How does your waist feel? Is there anything you can do to make it more comfortable? For me, yes, I need to stretch that part of the body a bit. I'm willing to do that and now it feels so much better. And even just going up your back. Many people have back pains. How is your back now? Can you adjust it to make it more comfortable? If there is a pain anywhere in your back, it is incredible that sometimes you just focus in on it, not trying to escape from it, but going inside of it with immense kindness and awareness and learning how to relax it. When you relax it, the ache, the pain gets less intense. You find you're not reacting to that ache or pain. You're allowing the door of your heart to be open to the ache or pain. It doesn't hurt as much. It's a wonderful form of kindness which affects your health in a positive way. Then you go to the front of your torso again, especially for monastics, your gut. I don't know why that is. How does your intestines feel right now? Please be kind to them. It's like sometimes we put things in our mouth for so many reasons, sometimes because people give it to us. We don't want to be unkind. That's absolutely true. How does the body feel? When I'm kind to any feelings in my intestines, colon, stomach, it's amazing just like it relaxes. It gets at ease. Aches or pains can vanish. Extreme pains even. Sure many of you have heard how I overcome food poisoning just by myself in my cave. Really overcame it, just disappeared with kindfulness. And up to your 
lungs and heart and anything else you have in your body which is causing you a little bit of disturbance. Don't run away from it, but go towards it, embrace it. It's just what the body is doing to heal itself. We care for our body. Not curing it, but caring is more important. Loving kindness. Eventually you go up to your shoulders and learn how to relax those. Loosening things, letting go of any tension. It's amazing just how we react by tightening our body up, thinking that's going to protect us. A lot of times a loose body is far more invulnerable. I just go down my arms and my elbows. I don't have any problems down there. If you do, if you've got aches and pains there somewhere, please just stay there for a little while. Give that extra bit of TLC, tending loving, tending loving care to your own body. You find it just heals, relaxes. And I usually finish off my, obviously, at the end of my arms and my fingers. This is, I always tend to adjust my fingers at this time. So even fingers, I care for you. Are you really comfortable down there? Is there anything I can do to help? So I just, even just the intention to be kind means that the body just realizes you are caring for every part of your body. And it reacts by relaxing. When I go back out to my shoulders and neck, making sure, especially the head, is well balanced on top of the neck. I usually fidget it this time, just backwards and forwards, until I can find the optimum position for my head on top of the neck. And lastly, I go to my face. I can feel any tightness around my eyes or on my mouth. A lot of times that tightness is coming from any negative emotions inside of you. That's why you can read a person's emotions by looking at how their face is configured. When you relax the muscles around your eyes and your mouth, it means your emotions start to be at ease and peaceful. It's almost like a segue into the mind. But before I go into the mind and what people recognize as loving kindness meditation, starting on the body, but I haven't finished with my body yet. Now I just try and imagine, visualize, know the whole body all joined together, all balanced. If there's anything anywhere which is a little bit tense, tight, notice let my attention rest there for a little while. Give it an extra boost of kindness. 
You can feel that things change. The body become at ease. And there's a fascinating thing which I just inside discovered, I don't know. But anyway, when my body is really, really relaxed, it feels pleasurable, delightful. The life of a body which is relaxed, at ease, comfortable. Every time I can perceive the delight which is caused by kindfulness, my body gets even more relaxed. I often say that's one of the reasons I keep healthy. Spend time with my body, caring for it, mindfully relaxing the whole lot. And now we go inside to our mind. How free do you feel? Kindness gives you freedom. What happened to you in your past? A lot of times that it's become quite popular now to be in the present moment. For many people, how can we let go of the past? One important tool is to be kind to your past, to spend loving kindness to the whole of your past and all of the actors, the villains and the, the saints you have known in your past, including you. Be kind to all the people in your past. You try and chase them away. Sometimes that just makes you more tense. And it's one of the reasons why for people who have had a traumatic past, you can use the visualization of the door of your heart. Imagine it's like a Valentine's Day heart. And there's two doors there, double doors which you swing open. And there's a part of you which you respect, which you're at ease with, which is easy to give your own self-love to. There's also a part of you which is outside, the person who is badly used or abused, the person who is really unfairly treated. Some of those beings you try to forget, but they're still there, outside. They're not allowed into your heart. And other beings, close friends, family members who are also out there, you don't allow in. All of those important parts of your past, which have made you who you are, 
See if you can extend a ladder from this visualization of your heart down to the ground. And you find all those parts of you which you may be ashamed of, afraid of, allow them to come in. The little boy who was beaten, the girl who was abused, allow them to come in. You have to encourage them up those stairs. So eventually they come into your heart, you embrace. I will never stigmatize you anymore. I'll never reject you. I'm kind to the past. Don't agree with it, but I'm kind to you. When you're kind to the past and all the actors in that great drama, you open the door of your heart to them. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I will never close the door of my heart to you. And you all know that's what my father told me when I was very young. I'll never close the door of my house to you, son, no matter how you turn out. Once you are kind to the past in that way, it's easy to let the past go. And your future, all the anxieties people have, there's always anxiety somewhere, not just about COVID or old age, what's going to happen tomorrow. Be kind to your future. Whatever happens tomorrow, the door of my heart is open to you. Whatever's going to happen in the future, you open your heart this great uncertainty and adventure, and don't try and plan and predict it too much. Most of the plans and the fears I've ever had, they don't turn out to be true. It's a waste of my mind. And lastly, be kind to this present moment. You don't have to be perfect. How do you feel right now? This is truth, how you feel right now, the closest you can get to truth. When you're kind to something, it's easy to stay with it. So often, little animals, birds, wombats, if, you, if you're kind to them, it's amazing how they're kind back to you. They trust you. And you have so much joy when you're with beings who aren't afraid. You stay with them for hours. If you're kind to this present moment, to this being who bears your name, 
And you can stay here for a long time. At peace. At ease. By being with one of your closest friends. This present moment. And once you start to feel the kindness growing in strength, don't give it a name, but know the feeling. It's an emotional truth. Once you can feel the loving kindness to this very moment, then you can start expanding it. You expand it to your whole body. If you want to do this, sometimes you just like staying inside the mind. That's fine. Extend it to your whole body. It's like this uh, powerful energy. It goes up to every part of the body which is needed. It accepts makes peace with, cares rather than cures. It's like you're held in these beautiful warm arms of loving kindness. Nothing to fear. Safe, at ease. Relaxed to the max. If you don't feel safety, it's very hard to develop meditation. So you give yourself that safety. And you grant yourself these moments of peace. It's your gift of kindness to yourself. And to your body. Once you get strong enough, you can expand that kindness, that energy. And of course, the first is to all the people in this room. Monks, nuns, male, female, lay people, all the people listening online. Expanding. These incredibly wonderful people. Some of these you've known for such a long time. Very dear friends. Expand our loving kindness. Just like parts of your body. The relationship gets so relaxed, at ease. Effortlessly you hang out. Not trying to prove anything. Not trying to impress. And see if that loving kindness circle can expand. Expand even further. Now you know there's some situations in life, some people in life, it's very hard to give loving kindness towards. Sometimes there's some people very easy to. And some people somehow in the middle somewhere. Expand that loving kindness. Imagine this big sphere 
and all the friends, all the loved ones, all the people and things and animals that you respect are inside the circle. But there's few beings or situations which is on the edge of the circle. They're kind of all right, but sometimes they're a little bit irritating. See if you can expand the circle. The circle which contains those things you find it easy to give loving kindness towards. Expand it. You find that it's joyful to expand and include more people in. You keep on expanding it. It's beautiful who you let in to your heart, who you allow to be with kindness. The circle expands more and more and more. Little beings who in the forest who may bite you. A couple of months got bitten by bullants last week in Perth. Bullants were just trying to defend. We didn't understand the mouse weren't trying to hurt them at all. All the other animals in this forest. First time I've seen a wombat yesterday in NBM. Beautiful animal. Said loving kindness to the wall. To even more beings. To expand the circle. To beings who are afraid. Beings who are sick. How many beings suffering from COVID in the hospitals of our world? Or just in their homes, or don't even have a home or a hospital to go to. People are afraid of violence and wars. Sometimes it's easy to exclude people, animals, beings, situations. Imagine your circle of what you can embrace. Gets wider and wider. So it starts to embrace people who really hurt you and you think it cause problems. They're just harder tests for you right now as meditators to embrace, to include in to this world of samsara instead of excluding. May all beings be happy and at peace, feel safe, feel our friendship, our kindness. That includes you, no more, no less than any other being in this cosmos. I'm going to be quiet now.
In five minutes, I'm going to ring the bell. Actually, probably 10 minutes.
Getting close to the end of the meditation period. Before I ring the gong, how do you feel? Did it work? If so, why? If it didn't, why? We always learn, no matter what happens. Almost. Now we have questions. You also have answers? <laughs> Just questions. <laughs> See how they go. Okay. Thank so you. Here go. We have uh, about five questions at the moment. Um, I'll just go ahead and read out the first one. Uh, dear Arjun, tell us your very first and early meditation experience. How did you do it before there was a teacher? Ooh. <laughs> that was weird. I did have a teacher at the time, and that was a 
uh, a layman. This is what I was at Cambridge University. I was interested in meditation and managed to find a reasonable teacher. It wasn't just a teacher, it was just the ability to let go and to trust in that. It was a marvelous experience. Of course, that changed a lot of my life. If you do get into some deep meditation, sometimes you just find that the way you look at life won't be the same. Many things which I had to give up. Because, you know, girlfriends, only one at a time, and uh, alcohol, and precepts and stuff, I had to give, start taking them, there was no choice. Wonderful thing to experience just the more simplicity of lifestyle. So it just happens when you know how to let go. It's one of the reasons I say that if you know what meditation is, it's one of the most simple things in the world to do. If you don't do anything, you just, in this moment, all doing is about the future. All ill will is about the past. You're just here, letting things be with some natural kindness. And things get so beautiful and so peaceful. You just allow that to really get deep inside of you. It's gorgeous. Anyway, next question. Thank you, Ajahn. Um, next question. I cannot generate meta as much as I'd like because I feel my mindfulness is not deep enough. No golden light, sometimes a small sense of warmth. Please advise. Thanks so much. Just at the very beginning, you gave the answer to that question. It's just you don't develop loving kindness as much as you would like. So lower your threshold of what you like and what you don't like. In other words, lower expectations. And this is good enough. And that similarly years ago, after going to teach in jails, and the people noticed that life inside a prison in Australia, in West Australia anyway, was much more comfortable than life inside Bodhinyana Monastery. And this one monk who was having this conversation with one of the prisoners sort of was told by one of the prisoners, they got to like that monk. And they said, that's terrible in your monastery. Why don't you come in here and stay with us instead? And those interesting comments. What makes a jail? It's a place you don't want to be. Any place you don't want to be is called jail. What's freedom? Wanting to be here, no matter where that happens to be. So for the kindness, please don't put any limits or any demands what you want to get and how much you want to, to get love and kindness. Just how do you feel right now? Can you be kind to that? Don't have enough mindfulness? Mindfulness is not what you possess. It's when you stop possessing things that mindfulness is there, just you don't go seeking anything else. And it's our default position. So it's about if we look at it that way, just when you start letting go, you have all the mindfulness you ever want. You don't sort of judge the world. You have all the kindness, the acceptance, 
embracing. Okay, next question. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, as an engineer, my whole career is to identify and solve problems. And sometimes I feel very stiff and stressed in my mind. But also, I find a purpose to doing this. Uh, how can I balance? As an engineer, have you solved all the problems yet? Have you not noticed that when you've solved one problem, there's always another two comes up next week? And the problem gets close to solving the problems, but you never really get to the end of them. And okay, this question comes up now. One of those monks, which I met as a young man, which I really, really was impressed with, was a monk called Ajahn Tate. He was the monk who had, when I first went to Thailand, around that time he had very bad cancer terminal. Mm. And he was in the best hospital in Bangkok. All the doctors paid for by His Majesty the King of Thailand at the time. And after a while they said, there's nothing more we can do. So he went back up to his monastery on the Mekong River to die. And about 25 years later, he died. <laughs> but anyway, he was a very powerful monk at Tate. I went up to see him once because I wanted to ask my questions. And I even, I at the time, I maybe six or seven, eight reigns, I'm not quite sure exactly how many. But then I, I had to wait for a couple of days to you know, be in the queue to ask the questions. And when it came to my turn, went into the room where he was. First of all, his image in my mind will never forget. This small monk, he was tiny and very old, and he was just looking out across the Mekong River into Laos. Very peaceful, but he was... They built him this huge structure. He obviously didn't belong in there. He was a simple monk. But anyway, then when I paid respect to him and asked him, I was going to ask him my questions, but as soon as he looked at me, all those questions vanished. Honestly, just my mind became so still and peaceful. Just, you know, his aura was just a really great monk. And I realized then that's the way you end all questions, by stillness by kindness. He was one of the kindest monks I ever met. And anyway, just to say with engineering, when are you going to solve all those problems? It's endless. But after a while, when you become peaceful, you've done your jobs in life. You've got enough money to pay your bills, look after your family. Then you can really relax. And you think, yeah, there's things wrong in the world. But that's part of the world. Things wrong with Newbury uh, Buddhist Monastery. <laughs> well, that's, it's beautiful. There's things wrong with the tree. I never want to straighten it up. I just love it how it is, all twisted and damaged. So after a while, yes, that's your job, that's your work. This work which doesn't have an end, engineering or science. I always used to Field in physics, that was my field, to find the theory of everything, to unify all the major forces of the known world and get the final theory. We put every scientist out of work. <laughs> they got the final theory. 
And of course, there are problems that are really, really close, really, really close, really, really close. They never are. It's the nature of this world to be beyond our control. We can't just uh, get some great theory and thereby control it all. Same with engineering. There'll always be mistakes happen. Always things go wrong. So you have a very secure livelihood in the future. <laughs> okay, next question. Thank you, Aja. Um, so short question. Is it okay to love but not like? Yes, of course. <laughs> you can't like everything in this world. Do you like um, COVID injections or rat tests? Even the name, we call it rat test. Why do you call it a rat <laughs> test? Can't you call it bunny rabbit test or something? Or wombat test or something? I know it's just an acronym. But it's a terrible acronym to give a rat test. Anyway. <laughs> that, so you don't like them, but you can be kind to them. I know sometimes things which I don't like, sometimes you learn so much from them. All the teachers, especially at school, which I didn't like, I learned so much from them. And then there's stuff which you have to do in life. You can't like everything. You can still love the fact that people do this for you. And you can do it to them. For them, sorry, not to them. Or with them is even a better way of saying it. Of course, you can love without needing to like. You embrace. You've got no choice. Embrace that. And one of the nice things is seeing the, the benefits. Sometimes that uh, we can go somewhere and just see the faults and the mistakes and things wrong. It was wonderful to see the, the beautiful parts of that. And I was just saying the other day, please excuse me, that when I was saying a little bit in the last talk I gave here, that when I was 19, 19 was the first time I fell in love. Fell in love with a lovely young girl. And after six months, she dumped me. She chose another guy instead of me. Did I like that? I loved that. Because now I was free <laughs> to become a monk. <laughs> so sometimes you always see the positive side no matter what happens in your life. There's always something you can make out of whatever happens in life. And that sort of uh, attitude. Yes, no, it's not nice, but you can still see its benefits and learn and grow from it, which is a wonderful thing. Okay, next question. Um, how do I protect myself from extreme forms of prejudice and preemptive hatred? Ah, easy, don't have a self. When there's no target, nothing can hit you. Just for other people, it hurts them. <laughs> oh, one of my earliest memories when I first came to Australia was um, I was the main builder at Bodhinyana Monastery. Still got some pictures of me on top of the roof building. And so we would get all the building material, take it, load it into a, a combi van, the old VWs. And then take it back to Bodhinyana Monastery from town. 
And one day I was loading up the uh, VW van. And as I was loading it up, working really hard, this about, must have been about 11, 12 year old girl came out from the house next door. And she looked at me with utter disgust. At least what she thought was disgust. She'd probably seen that in the movies or the TV channels. And she put her hand on a <laughs> piece of screen. I thought it was so funny, but I always remember it. Put her hand on her hips and looked me up and down in my bald head and brown robe. And she said to me, you're dressed like a girl. That's sick. <laughs> it was so over the top. I just burst out laughing. I thought that was the funniest thing I'd seen all week. <laughs> That's one of the wonderful. It's just natural. I didn't sort of not try to humiliate her back or anything. But when you see things, people try to discriminate against you. If it's still possible, you can laugh at it. It's wonderful. But I don't know why this is because I'm saying, oh, I was voicing as well when they tried to humiliate me. And there was, at least I was impressed that these boys, they knew a little bit about monks. We were driving down this Leech Highway, being in the combi van. And so it was a really hot day. There's no air con in there, so the windows were wide open. And then we came to a, a junction there, so the, the traffic lights were red. I was just in the passenger seat, minding my business. And then this a group of young kids, maybe 18 or 19, you know, just looking for something interesting to do, they pulled up right beside us. So they had the window open as well. And they were shouting at me. And they had a little book or magazine, they kind of, with their mouth wide open. <laughs> you know what the magazine was? <laughs> Copy of Playboy. <laughs> To a monk. How did I know it was Playboy? Did I look? I'm not. I'm not <laughs> they were just kids out for the afternoon and just, you know, just having some fun. But I thought at least they knew what a monk was. So I thought, well, that's got to be see some positives in that somewhere. <laughs> then they drove off. I was laughing as well, not looking, just laughing. <laughs> But so when sometimes people, they, what are they doing that for? They're trying to upset you, trying to, as they say, push buttons. But when you don't have any buttons, there's nothing to push. Done okay? Okay, next question. Thank you, Ajahn. Uh, next question. My father has just died. He was emotionally unavailable. Now I find that I'm disabled and living with my son and husband that are the same. I don't know how to keep the door of my heart open. I weep. Oh, please remember, just doesn't matter how your, uh, says your father, how he was. But remember, just if you somehow can get out that piece of paper, lying down the middle, your father's name on top, left-hand side of the paper, all the reasons why he was cold and unavailable to you. Write them all down, all the negative parts of him. Then on the right-hand side, all the positive parts about your father. Sometimes when we're emotionally distressed, we can only see half the picture, half the truth. 
come to a time we can see all the positive things which he's done, all the kind things, all the sacrifices which he's made, and maybe some of the reasons why he was emotionally unavailable to you. Whenever you're judging a person, which we do so often, we always have a prosecutor. In courts of law, for fairness, for justice, we always have a defense attorney as well. So see if you can imagine, you're not just a prosecutor, you're the defense attorney of your father. So find out all the extenuating circumstances, the, the reasons why, the, the other good things which they did. Whenever I've done that, I found out there's, you can't make a decision on that person. There's such difficult qualities, difficult situations. And a personal example of that is I never knew my paternal grandfather because he died. We always thought he was probably blown up in Liverpool during the Second World War. But apparently my brother did the research and found he, he died of typhoid in that war. He was very poor. He was actually a plumber. And my father would tell me that he would come home late every day because after whatever he earned, he would spend in the pub. He'd come home drunk. And then he'd get off his belt and he'd hit any kid who happened to be in his way. Sometimes my father took that beating, not because he did anything wrong, just because his father, my paternal grandfather, was drunk. But then worse, my father said, he then set on his wife, my father's mum. He said that he couldn't stand. And he said that the fact he couldn't defend the one person in his family really loved his mother from this, what he called a B-A-S-T-A-R-D said that really hurt him. But he said the one thing he resolved to do, if ever he survived and had children, he said he would never beat his children. And I can attest to that, he never could. Even though I deserved it many times. He just couldn't do it. Because beating his children was just, it brought back all the terrible, terrible memories of his experiences growing up. He was a victim of abuse. But he taught me, I didn't really understand too much at the time, but afterwards, you may be a victim of abuse, but you can learn another way of dealing with your life. That's an incredible, powerful thing to see and, and hear. That's personal. And he did a really great job. It's a shame he only died. He only lived 16 years when, after I was born. He was a great father. He learned that from the pain of his upbringing. That's what I would say. I'm not sure if I answered the question, but it's a nice little story of loving kindness. Respond to abuse and violence with its opposite. Anyway, uh, another question? Uh, yes, thank you, Arjan. Uh, dear Arjan, how can I forgive my only siblings who have been dishonest with me and caused me harm? Now we no longer speak with each other. Will sending Meta to him help this situation? Yes, and I'm not quite sure what culture you come from, 
whether they're sending birthday cards, Christmas cards, or whatever, anything, you know, which at least can love that person at a distance. Later on, you come closer to love them as a friend. And uh, this, please apologize for saying stories, but stories convey meaning much better than what possibilities are. Remember, there was this one, I was going over to Queensland to give some talks, and on the way back, that one of the Sri Lankan people outside Brisbane invited me to their home for the dana. And then just rather early, so we're chatting to everybody. And then I asked him, just, well, how's your family? He said, oh, yeah, he goes, I've got two sons. This is my wife. And I can only see one son. Where's the other son? He said, oh, yes, we fell out years ago. He hadn't seen him for about three years. So does he live in Brisbane? I said, yeah, he's not that far away. He just won't see me. Will you see him? I said, no. And did you call each other? I said, no. Father and son hadn't met for about two or three years. And I know just in the Sri Lanka community especially, that people are sometimes afraid of monks. So I told, I said, his younger brother said, have you got your older brother's telephone number? I said, yeah, I've got his number on my phone. Call him now. <laughs> so the younger brother had to call his older brother. His father was there because he didn't know what was, I was up to. And as soon as he got through, he said, give me the phone. He said, this is Ajahn Brahm here. I'm at your father's house right now. Come over straight away. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking the charge, but it worked. And so, and so the elder son came in there. The father was there, the father and the elder son, they were sitting there together. And they wouldn't look at each other. I'm looking this way, I'm watching it, I was looking at both of them. <laughs> then they asked the father, what happened? What sort of you know, divided the two of you? And he looked at me, he said, well, I've got to be honest, I've forgotten. <laughs> Is that, that's what he said. And then I looked at the, the, uh, his eldest son. I said, well, what did your dad do that you haven't seen him? I said, I, I've forgotten too. I don't know. <laughs> they said, okay, look at each other. So they looked at each other. And so they, they made up for something. They'd forgotten what it was. <laughs> and so that's a wonderful gift. You could actually do that. And it was great for them, honestly. They, they came over there and just, all oh, those steel tables over by the monastery. Mm -hmm. He offered us. Yeah. He just got his family together again. <laughs> Anger and ill will, it's just, when you look at it, it's silly. What are you breaking up a family for? Forgive. Well, that goes only a small thing. But how big it is, it's only a small thing. It's one of the reasons why those are people who know English literature, Gulliver's Travels, the war between the Lilliputians and who the other ones, I forget who. They were having a war, a civil war in this book. And what caused a civil war is because one group of people always thought that when you eat a boiled egg, you should start on the narrow side of the egg. And I said, no, no, that's wrong. The fatter side of the egg, that's what you should start eating first. <laughs> it, it was like uh, 
a satire on politics at the time. And I still remember just in my history lessons, the War of Jenkins' Ear. That's the name of a war between Britain and Spain years ago. I think what they did, the, the English, they sent over some sort of diplomat over to Spain and they sent his ear back without him. So that was it, a war. Oh, come on, how many more arms and legs and heads and bodies were killed over one ear? Made no sense to me. But anyway, people sometimes do things for silly reasons. So instead of that, to see if you can. Um, there you go. And forgive. And reconcile. Why not? Even if the other person doesn't want to, to keep sending them gifts. Because loving kindness can wear down resistance when it's real. Okay. Any more questions? Uh, thank you, Arjun. Yes, we have just two more questions left. Okay, let's go for it. Uh, okay. Thank you, Arjun, for the beautiful meditation session. Question from me. How to manage fear and anxiety when it hits you? Thank you. First of all, don't wait until it hits you. In other words, just contemplate. Just say, what have you got to lose? Try and be in safe places. You know, just have little remedies you know, if you do feel afraid. And, oh, okay, with my little stories. Remember, just stay with my mother in London and then go to the Sri Lankan temple in the evening. This is where I grew up in, in Acton. And the shortcut was actually past this housing estate, which the police said was a hotbed of crime. And sure enough, going there that evening, that it was that time when the kids were congregating. So as I was walking towards them was, uh, in uh, South Acton, as I was walking there, the kids, maybe 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds or something, not maybe less than that, 15 or 16-year-olds, there was about half a dozen of them, and then about 10, they saw me coming, and they looked at me, and they tried to make me afraid by starting shouting, Buddha, 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 Buddha. And I was getting closer, they were increasing the volume and the uh, the speed of the chart Buddha. Those are big guys. You know, I just, in that time I was sick. And I thought, what am I going to do? I could have turned around and ran. I could have crossed over to the other side of the street and said, nah. So you know what I did? This is honest. As I was working, I didn't increase my speed. I didn't sort of slow down. I kept exactly walking straight towards them. And as I got close to them, <laughs> I lifted my hands in what I thought was a kung fu pose. I've never done kung fu in my life. What I have done, I remember watching the TV show called Kung Fu. It was when I was last year before I became a monk, you know, the Kung Fu series. <laughs> and I went like that, my so called kung fu pose. I, I figured out, and it was absolutely true. 
they had a clue what Kung Fu was. They probably seen it on the TV as well. So brown robe, bald head, no fear. <laughs> and they parted. And I walked right through them. <laughs> I was really lucky. <laughs> but it worked. So that's what I do with anxiety and fear, with a bit of laughter, but also just a lot of times that other people are probably more afraid than you are. These those kids were. They could have wasted me so easily. They never did. So anyway, that's a short answer. But anyway, let's have the last question. So I'm almost running out of time. Right, thank you, Arjun. Dear Arjun Brown, very nice to see you. My question is, I get very tense lately and thoughts come to me automatically. I was, I'm anxious about what I really want in life and worry about making the wrong choices. Um, so how do I know if I'm making the right decisions? When you have a decision to make, it's like just going out of the door of your house, you can turn left or you can turn right, eventually you just end up at the same destination. Now what I've noticed that you waste so much energy trying to make the right decision, but once you've made the decision, you've got no energy to make it work. So instead, make decisions easily. And then save all the energy. So after you've made that decision, after you've made the turn, then make sure you make it work. You make it the right decision. It's not the right decision beforehand. If you make it the right decision, by as much energy, effort you do after you've decided. I kind of like that idea. Because sometimes in my life, I just have so many decisions I'm supposed to make. Is it the right decision, the wrong decision? I don't know. I made the decision and make it work. And when people say, what if I'd have done something else? What if I'd have turned left? What if I'd have turned right? And that's where I use the wonderful word. I never knew its meaning when I first heard it because it was pronounced wrongly. The ineffable. Yeah. You heard about the word ineffable. Yeah. I tried to define it. It's obviously it's a compound. It's something not able to be effed. Doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> So instead, I started pronouncing it in if a ball. And that's a much better word than spirituality, especially meditation. If I hadn't come to you uh, people this morning, if you just stayed in, in uh, King Lake, what would have happened? I don't know. The past is ineffable. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that you don't have to if, what if I did this, what if I did that? You just make a decision, make it work, and forget about it. No anxiety. Much better. Okay. It's now nine o'clock. So we're out of time. Thank you very much.